start off by telling you a very funny story about my mother. I'm taking a liberty here. My mother was the queen of sarcasm. She was always saying something with a double meaning. And back in the day, because I was a hippie, you all don't know what hippies are, but hippies wear bell-bottom pants, and they wear T-shirts and no bras, and their hair's all over their heads, and uh, they're just messy. And she couldn't handle it, because my mom was prim and proper and very, very sophisticated. And we were going to a outdoor festival, a rock concert, one Sunday afternoon. And I had my jeans pressed on the bed, ready to jump in them. She hated the fact that I didn't wear a bra. And my T-shirt was, I wrinkled it just the way I liked it. And my girlfriends were waiting for me. And she came in and spoke to them all very nicely and said, are you planning to wear that? I said, yes. And she picked up both pieces and dropped them in the bath water. She said, now wear them. <laughs> so that made me go to plan B, which meant pressing the, the uh, what kind of pants did we used to wear back in the day? Permapress, permanent press pants, and putting on something that she wanted me to wear. And um, I wasn't happy, but when I look back on those actions i miss her in this world where everything is something that it isn't i miss her because she was the real deal she didn't play and you know i don't have a mother story that tops yours although everybody has their mother's stories but what you just said i will echo i miss my mother on this side although my faith tells me she's still with me but this is a great time for us to give a shout out to all the mothers everybody who serves in the role as a mother and i always call my surrogate moms who mother me my adopted moms mm -hmm. but that also brings up an item on my bucket list that it looks like i won't fulfill before the end of my life because i actually always wanted to be a true adopted mother I always wanted to adopt a child and so even as I celebrate this Mother's Day weekend and my 26 year old baby who will always be my baby I still do have a void mm -hmm. in my heart because I know that there are children in the world looking for families and that actually is our topic for today and we have some great guests who are going to speak from the perspective of families. As we researched this topic, Dr. I, we found out this is a really big issue, adoption, and it has lots of tentacles. There's law, there's policy. There are the adults who were adopted and adults who aged out of the care system before they were adopted. And so I'm going to just go ahead and say this is the first of a multi-part series on adoption. And we want to jump right into it because we have three families who are going to tell their very unique stories of being adopted parents, as well as two lovely young people I'm looking at who are part of an adopted family. But first, let's just talk about the, the basics. And again, this is an extremely complicated topic we found out. So stay tuned for further episodes where we really delve more into it. But just from a very basic perspective, we first would like for our listeners to know just a adoption 101. And so we're delighted that we have the representative of, as you know, audience, we broadcast from Central Ohio, so we have a representative from a public 
adoption agency, if I might use very youth lingo, Fairfield County, for those of you who are familiar with Central Ohio, um, is right next to the capital city county. And we did, for those of you who might be wondering, we did invite representatives from larger agencies to be with us today. They declined. And so we're very glad that Fairfield County did not do that. And so we have Dave Henwood, who's child and permanency manager for Fairfield County Protective Services. And Dave is just going to answer some very basic preliminary questions for us to help our families listening and our and our prospective families listening and our people who are supporting adoptive families listening to talk about what is adoption. So, Dave, thank you for joining us today on The Window. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited anytime I get to talk about families and adoption, so I appreciate this opportunity. So good. Again, Adoption 101. Who can adopt? Uh, pretty much anyone. Um, so if you are an adult in the state of Ohio, uh, you are able to go through the process to get a home study completed. And um, for the public agencies such as mine, um, it would be a conversation about both a foster care license and an adoption approval. Um, but we would offer that to anyone who is an adult. Um, now, inside of that, there's clearly rules about eligibilities and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty wide open. And an adult is how old? Uh, 18 or older. Okay. And, and listeners, Dave said in Ohio, again, this is where we broadcast from, but we know we have listeners from around the country. So everything we say, be sure and check where you live to see what the law is and what the policy is, because that's, that's very important. Dave, what is it that leads a child to be eligible to be adopted? Uh, for, for the public service or the public uh, child protective service agencies, it is unfortunately uh, when we have taken custody of a child and cannot successfully reunify them with either their birth parents or a relative. So um, if we have had a protective services case and the parents have not successfully reunified, then we would approach our court and ask for permanent custody, which then frees that child for adoption. And so we encourage our listeners, as we do right now, to send us feedback before, during, and after the show at the window feedback at gmail.com, the window feedback at gmail.com. So some of the questions we've gotten, Dave, and some of the questions we know are asked, and I'm going to just say this in a very crass way because it's sometimes the way it's asked, why would the government take a child from their home? So if you kind of rewind the tape on those cases, it's when we're uh, receiving reports of abuse or neglect or dependency. So abuse is um, an act against a child. Uh, neglect is the uh, lack of an action that the child would need. And dependency is when the family themselves identify that they're unable to continue to provide care. Um, so we would be talking physical abuse. Um, we would be talking situations of neglect where children weren't being cared for. Um, and our agency's hope anytime that one of those things happens is that we can work with that birth family and rectify whatever those issues are and then have the children successfully return home. 
Um, it's only in those, and, and I'll say rare, it, um, more often than not, we're successful in that effort and children are able to return home. But in those rare situations when that doesn't happen and we're unable to find relatives who would be able to provide care, then the child would come into our permanent custody and be freed for adoption. So why would you try to reunite a child with a family that neglected them or abused them? And how do you rehabilitate a situation like that? Oh, um, I mean, that's that's what social workers do. Um, you know, I think more often than not, there's kind of a, a belief that when you hear words like abuse and neglect, that there is intent behind it. Um, that's often not the case. Um, it's sometimes just adults that are making decisions, and those decisions have a negative impact on the children they're raising. Um, even if there isn't uh, an accidental situation, maybe if it is pur- purposeful, um, it's still our work, and it's the, the mandate of the law of Ohio that we work with that family. Um, you know, being able to be with your family is um, goal one for us with children. Um, we know that there is trauma that comes with not being able to be with your birth family. So our, our hope is that um, the services that we help link families with, the service providers that we work with to address whatever the situation may be, will successfully help that family address whatever is the need, and um, they can then go forward and be successful. Um, you know, it's it's kind of... Um, like I said, it's kind of the, the social worker creed that um, we're here to help, and that's what we try to do in those situations. And so, Dave, if I understand correctly from our prior conversations, in Fairfield County, before someone can be an adoptive parent, they're required to be a foster parent. Is that correct? Uh, what we do is we actually do those concurrently. So um, the licensure and the approval process, so licensure for fostering and approval for adoption, um, the process of being of completing that um, runs concurrently. What will happen, though, is when children are placed in your home, you would at first foster them as we were working to reunify. And then when we reached a point where the children could not successfully reunify, our work would then pivot and we would be looking for an adoptive family. So that is when the family would uh, kind of, they still offering the same level of care, but um, kind of with a different goal in mind. So then the, the foster family is not assured that that child can be adopted by them. Is that correct? Correct. And to be really honest, that's probably the, to me, the most difficult part of fostering. Um, we have really great families that we work with here. Um, some of them come to us uh, hoping to do family building. Um, they, they want to eventually have children of their own. They maybe um, have already had children and would like more. Maybe there's reasons why they're not able to have their own and they would hope to adopt. Um, we also have families that come to us and just want to foster. Um, they have a calling that they want to come and they want to provide care for children and help those families along um but yeah there's there's no guarantee that we can ever offer a foster family when we first place a child in their home where we say we are sure 100 percent that this child is going to be legally freed for adoption and the adoption process itself uh kind of legally prevents us from doing that anyway we have to get to permanent custody and then 
we go into the process of matching. Um, so it's um, you have to kind of have faith in the process, and you also have to be willing to uh, open your heart and open your home for children and provide care knowing that someday they may leave. Dave, this is Dr. I. Years ago, yeah. I wanted to adopt a young woman, and I was prevented from doing that because I was separated in the middle of a, a nasty divorce. Is that still the case in in Fairfield County or anywhere? We try to take those cases one by one. Um, I think the first question we would ask, I guess maybe two steps back, um, we would want to process with you because there are certain rules that come with married couples about, um, I mean, kind of the long and the short of it is if I, I can't really have one uh, married person adopt a child and not the other. Um, so I would need to process what that was and what it looked like, but I would want to kind of process with you like, well, what's the time frame of this look like and how, how will, um, how will the process kind of move forward, right? Like, so I'm filing for divorce or we're separated and this is what's going to be happening. Um, th- there are some rules. There are some rules that kind of get in the way sometimes of things like that. But I, I will also tell you that um, we try to explore as many different possibilities to find permanency for kids as possible. So sometimes for us, it's not an adoption. It's a legal custody, which is um, when a kinship person, so a, a relative or a close friend of the family knows a child, we can also put them in the legal custody of that person. So that's permanent in nature, but it doesn't sever all the same rights as an adoption. Um, we try to explore permanency as many ways as we can. We we don't want kids in our custody. Um, we, we know, and um, kind of referencing back earlier when uh, you guys had asked about the government like, we know the government isn't the best kid raisers. Like, we, we, we want parents and we want families to raise kids. So um, we try to explore as much as possible with folks to try to figure out ways to make those situations work. How old are the children in your system typically, Dave? Oh, they're all over. Um, we, right now, um, kind of have a lot of younger kids and a lot of older kids. Um, and when I say younger and older, we're talking preschool and younger. Um, and then we have a lot of teens. Um, it's, um, it's always harder to find families for teenagers. Uh, teenagers kind of come with that sort of scary, you know, oh, a teenager. Um, and I live with two teenagers, so I know all the things about teenagers that people kind of point about, right? Yeah, they, uh, they don't always follow the rules quite as well, and they don't always listen quite as well, and... Um, there's always 17 dishes in their bedroom that I ask them to put in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, that, though, is kind of the, the beauty of our system is we can meet families where they are. If you're a family who wants to come to us and you say, I'm, I'm really interested in uh, having small children in my home, and I think that's where we would like to, to aim our work, we can do that. And if you come to us and say, I have a real calling to work with teenagers because I enjoy that population and I think that there's lots of benefit with working with older kids, we have those kids too. So um, we we have a pretty good spread. But like I said, right now we kind of have a larger number early and late and not as many in the middle. Dave, you used the word scary, and that's another question that prospective adoptive parents sometimes get is it scary to have a child come into your home who has been traumatized in some way 
Um, I think it is only that it's it's a stranger, right? Like it's it's somebody you have to kind of meet and get to know. Um, I tell people this all the time. Those kids are more scared coming to your home than you would ever be of them. Um, they don't know anything about you, and all they know is all the things in their world they used to know that are leaving behind, and they're coming to your world, and they have to they have to become part of your world. Um, you you can do as much as possible as a parent to kind of bring their world with them, but it's really your world that they're coming into. So. Um, when I use the word scary, no more than your first day on a new job, right? That you got to get to know each other. You got to know each other's likes and dislikes and quirks and who likes macaroni and cheese and who hates it and things like that. Um, now it's also important to talk about, like, we try to do a really good job of talking with families about this is why these children are involved in our system. Um, it's important for us to make sure our families understand this is the trauma they've experienced. Um, but our work and training with our families hopefully has prepared them for that. And they're willing and able to kind of help out where they can and be the, be the family that child needs. And so do you provide support to the families, financial support, counseling support? Uh, we do. So there's, um, I, this this sounds very like a very small amount when I say it, and I, I absolutely know that. Um, our per diems are uh, in the $20, $23 for younger kids and $28 a day for older kids. Um, so you're not going to get rich as a foster parent. Uh, I think that's one of those um, ideas out in the world. Maybe sometimes you hear people, and they're like, oh, people do foster care because they, they're just making money off having those kids in their house. Nobody. First of all, teenagers or any kid are expensive, so nobody really makes money off of it. But um, there's a per diem provided to help cover the cost of care. Um, for our agency, every uh, home that we have has a caseworker assigned to it who is their caseworker, who if there's anything that that family needs during a placement or even when there's not a placement in the home, uh, those families can reach out and our caseworker will help them with services or anything they may need in their home. Um, we try to link our families and have our families be part of the process anytime that they have children placed in their home. So we want them to know who the child's counselor is. We want them to know who the child's teachers are and have been. Um, we consider our foster parents uh, really to be on equal standing with us. They're part of the team. So we want them to know what's going on, and we try to do as much as we can to inform that. And when they come to us and say, hey, I need help with this, it's been our job to help them. Does it cost money to adopt through your agency? Um, it's, it's a minimal amount through public agencies. So uh, there is no home study fee. There's a couple parts of the home study that do have costs associated with them. Um, one of the things that you have to do is you have to have a fire inspection completed of your home. So typically there's a cost that comes with that, and the fire department comes out and tells you, what's safe in your house and if there's anything that's unsafe and we make sure we help you rectify that um if you live outside of city limits and you're on a well you have to have your well inspected um so there's usually a cost that comes with that but we don't charge any sort of uh fees to families um i know sometimes with some private agencies there is a cost that's associated but uh for us it's 
pretty minimal. And we have three families in the studio who are going to talk to us about their experiences, including the cost. But Dave, thank you for giving us just a real brief crash course on adoption. Dr. I wants to know if there's an upper age limit to being an adoptive parent. I don't know. Can you be an adoptive grandma? <laughs> you know what? There is There is absolutely not a, uh, a top-end limit. You can be as old as you want to be, and you can still be an adoptive parent. Oh, that's good to know. Dave, we're going to take a break. Thank you for joining us on The Window. Please feel free to stay with us during the rest of the show if you can. But after our break, we're going to turn it over to families to talk about their adoption experiences on The Window. live on Mother's Day weekend. Now it's Saturday of Mother's Day weekend, so you have until Sunday to run out and get that gift if you've forgotten. And even if you're listening to our recording, which you can do on our website, thewindownow.com, you can listen to all 50 of our past shows on thewindownow.com. Every day should be Mother's Day. I was going to say, look, don't wait till Mother's Day to tell your mother <laughs> that you love them. Or you care about them or buy them presents or come clean up their house. That's right. So Do some. <laughs> clean your car up. Go get the tires yes. uh, fixed. Whatever. Help, show your mama you love right. them. Right. If you're listening to the show in July, trust me, it's Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Do something mm-hmm. nice for your mom or for whoever's standing in the place of a mom. We're talking about adoption here on The Window today. We just heard from an official with one of the public um, adoption services, if you will, in our geography. But we want to hear from families now for the rest of our time together. And these families have very unique stories to tell about adoption. And so we want to introduce to our audience Dr. I, Melinda Carter. Melinda is a single mom who's raised a young black male, Malcolm, from infancy to college. We're real pleased to congratulate Malcolm, who's going off to college with his handsome self. Mm -hmm. And also on the line, we have Tosca Bolt-Brundage. Tosca and her husband thought they were going to adopt one daughter, and then four daughters later, they're now the parents of five. So Melinda and Tosca, welcome to the window. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Melinda, let's start with you since I'm looking right mm-hmm. at you. Tell us about Malcolm and your journey from infancy to a soon-to-be college guy. Yeah, well, as I shared with you before, you know, it's really weird to me because I don't think of Malcolm as me raising him or being adopted. He's my son. He came to my to me from the hospital. God sent him. I, I, had a, not a, I went through social, Lutheran social services. Um, was a long and, and difficult um, process. Um, I had, you know, I was older. I was 37. Um, I had been a lawyer for many years by that time, um, and I wanted a child. And so, you know, that happened. So when people say, I for, I should say I forget that he's a doctor. I don't, but I did ask him how he felt about it, me talking, because, of course, everybody, I was well-known around the city, and people did everything when I, when Malcolm was born, oh, it was you know, it was a big deal, and but people forget. So, even though he's not ashamed of it, nor am I, it's just I, I, one day I said, you know, that's his story. I, 
not mine. I, I'm not. Uh, I was not adopted. I, you know. So those nom- the nomenclature bothers me a little because I hate. I shouldn't say I hate because I know people's intentions are well, are good. When they say, "Oh, um, you, you know, you're such a blessing to him." No, he's a blessing to me. I had to struggle to convince to get him um, to have God. You know, I had to do things, and so it's not like it was charity on my part. It was a blessing for me. So. When I think about our journey, yes, he came to my home from the hospital. Remember, we picked his name. We waited. We had baby showers. We did everything. I, um, at that time, I um, was fortunately working for Mayor Coleman. He graciously allowed me to be off 12 weeks. I stayed home. I cried like every other parent when I leave him at daycare and told the daycare, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. You just got to hold him all day. He, that's, all, that's all you got to <laughs> do. He just has to be held 24 hours. But, that's, but he's great. So my journey with him has been as of any parent. And thank God he's going to college (laughs) and getting out of my home as any parent of a teenager would know but um, it's been a wonderful blessing in many ways and he's an athlete too isn't he? He is he's going to Wittenberg University which I'm from Springfield so it works out we had a fight over he had a number of colleges but he finally settled in Wittenberg he's going he's got a a great academic scholarship actually um, uh, about $100,000 over the four year period guaranteed despite grades he's a great student um, he's nice and wonderful to everybody but me. <laughs> but he's also uh, a recruit for, he's a defensive end, and he's a very good athlete. And when you say you had to convince, go back to the beginning of your story. You had you said you had to convince someone to oh, yes. adopt him. Who did you have to convince? His, the birth mother. I mean, that's why I always say, you know, people don't want to adopt. I mean, I had to make promises and beg that, beg her. Not beg her, but I mean, she wanted the best for him. That was what she thought she should do. So you went through a private agency, and if I may, because we just talked to someone from a public agency who said the cost was minimal, but that was not the case with a private agency. And at that time, I think that was the last year, there was a subsidy that was paid to help offset it, but it was around $12,000. Okay. And then, of course, everything else that comes with ch- children. And, and you had to go through the friendly kind of things. I was reminded, as you were saying, the things I had a had a home visit had to have things like that but I was never a foster parent but I did have to go through those things as well okay so you 20, 18 years ago you interacted with the birth mom and and Tosca that was your story as well tell us about how your daughters came into your family well um like like you I wanted to initially adopt and have a child but due to infertility issues we uh, went kicking and screaming into the journey of adoption, which was very, very much an emotional roller coaster, uh, very much uh, financially challenging because, like she said, there was that cost associated with it. But we went ahead with it. It took us a while. It was very invasive, and I think that scares a lot of people. I, I know it was uncomfortable for me to have every rock in your life overturned um, and every thing looked at with such a and gone over with such a fine tooth comb but it, it, eventually we got the got the call and um, we adopted our first child in 2003 um, and ended up with our fifth child in 2010. And what happened between number one and number five? How did you all decide to become that big a family? <laughs> well my kids will tell you that I never had any intention of having five children um, but we did want a second child and so we went back and went through the whole process again 
and um, didn't get a call. And after almost three years, I had kind of forgotten about it, so to speak. And I was at work and got this second call, and we adopted our second child. And within a, about a year, um, the birth mom had another child, and the agency called us and asked us if we would be willing to take her. And, of course, we said, well, okay. And then we got the next call and the next call and the next call, and um, they are biological siblings, and so we could not come bring ourselves to leave them behind. And so that's how we ended up with five children. And your oldest child also just started college as well, correct? That's correct. She's a student at the University of Cincinnati and majoring in computer science, and uh, we're very proud of her. And she recently met her birth family, right? That was in actually in 2018. Uh, my husband and I decided to do our DNA through Ancestry, and she asked us if she could do hers. And just thinking maybe she would find a cousin or two, we you know had no idea what she would find, but we didn't think it would be much because her birth mother actually did not want to be found. And so we did her DNA, and lo and behold, we found her birth family and as it's, it's like a TV movie we found out that her aunt was actually her Sunday school teacher and her sister lived around the corner from us and one of her sister's children was in class with one of my kids and so um, it was a it was an exciting time and uh, she uh, developed a relationship with her sister and her grandmother but you said exciting, and so in, in terms of questions we've been asked, that is what I've heard some adoptive parents fear, if you will. What if they find the birth family and they have conflicted emotions? How's that been for you and your husband? Well, initially, at, when I started the adoption journey, I had no intention of ever meeting a birth family. I just wanted to take my child and go home and be done with it. Um, but over the years and through meeting different um, prospective adoptions, um, we came a little bit more comfortable with it. I was probably more comfortable with it than my husband was. Um, but yes, it does scare people because you think, well, what if they don't love me like they love their birth mother and things like that. And, um, but I became very comfortable with it. And um, so when it happened, I just embraced it fully. And um, her, her aunt, who was a Sunday school teacher, you know, she spoke to us and she said, you know, I'm not here to take over your family or to steal her from you. But I hope you look at us as more family. And that's what it's been for us. And, and Melinda, to go back to you for a moment, Malcolm has not met his birth family, is that correct? He's not met, um, I don't know, but no, he has not met them and hasn't expressed any interest. It it never concerned me because as I, I my, my, um, I have brothers and a brother and a sister that were from my father's first marriage. Um, my parents were married, and then their mother died. We were close to all of them. They lived a block away. My dad intentionally bought a house, so that would happen. So then my dad died the next year. So we were blended. So that's nothing that scares me. Relationships, and I want everybody who love, would love my son. I want them around. I don't care who it is, if they if they love them. So I've never been afraid of a relationship. Um, I've never been afraid of. You know, what if that, but I still think that that's his call. And also, I think there's some respect due to um, the, his 
the person who carried him. I hate saying birth mother because I don't like that. But, but anyway, I think that's her business too. Some people prepare their life. We all make choices and mistakes or not. I don't necessarily think it's the right of a child to interrupt their life. Um, you know, that's like that ancestry. I told my cousins to stop getting on ancestry.com because the reality is, do every, all secrets are not secrets that should be told. And when people come to me and say, "Oh, well, this is your adopted one," I'm thinking, "You don't know who your father is. You know, you know it's not your dad. You know it's JoJo." So my point <laughs> is, is that they put all this stuff on us. It doesn't even real. Mm-hmm. We all know people who, oh, that's really so so son. That's not really this. This isn't not important. That's important. I would say I compare, and I'm not her, but we. I mean, even Mary, who is Mary to Jesus? I mean, he's from his mother. But I don't think we all could. People that are Christians, we certainly have questions of. We don't think it's her baby in the sense of like we do. You know, I, I mean, it's not her baby. But you know what I'm saying? I'm saying so. We're putting things on. I'm talking too much. We're putting things on this issue when it's just people who love their children and you don't like the term birth mom i don't okay. i don't like it and i don't know why really because it is a birth mom okay. and i don't have any problem with her and i don't have any problem but i i just don't he's my son so i don't know any other way to describe that this is not any different than any other mother so we're really not talking adoption here we're talking families mm-hmm. we're talking about Tosca and her husband who brought five daughters into their family we're talking about a, a non-married because the term single parent bugs you a little bit too well not but, really mm-hmm. you know I tell my mother was a widow was when we, my mother's of course but she always didn't she's like I'm not a single parent I'm a widow I thought mom what difference does it make because at that time you know I'm older single people and she wasn't she wasn't a single parent mm-hmm. but when society let when we let people name us we take on things that don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. They're p- children with parents. Mm-hmm. And there's no other difference. And I just think we need to control that narrative sometimes. We have another family, Tosca and Melinda, who is going to share their story with us. And this is a very unique story on a number of fronts. So um, so let me begin to, I'm, I'm going to use another term that I personally hate. Let's begin to to unpack this family. Um, this family has two um, beautiful, beautiful, okay, tell me, whisper to me again your ages, okay? Okay, Sophia just whispered that she's 10. We're going to get her on the mic in just a moment so she won't have to whisper. And Emmy just whispered that she's 13. So we have a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old who are here. And one of them just put on her beautiful hat. Oh, I wish we could visualize this. We're going to ask for permission to take a photo so we can post this on our Facebook page. But they are here with their parents. And so we are going to, for just a moment, we're going to talk race and we're going to talk gender because that's important in our society and it's important to this story. So the the 10-year-old and the 13-year-old who you'll hear in the form of non-whispers in just a moment are African-American and they are female and their dads are here with us and they are Caucasian and they are a married couple and so on many levels this is a family with dynamics shall we say so welcome all to the window 
Thank you so much for having us. So let's start. We're going to introduce the dads first. And for those of you who are in central Ohio, these names are going to sound familiar to you. If you're elsewhere, feel free to look them up. But there are probably families like this either in your neck of the woods or if there's not, you might be in for an awakening soon across our country. But Tom Grody, thank you so much for being here. And Tom is a business person, we're just going to say, and we're not going to focus too much on your individual background because we want to talk about your family. Other than to say, I have consumed more Donato's pizza than anyone on the planet. More more pepperoni (laughs) than anyone in the world. (laughs) And so the Grody family is a name that's associated with many endeavors, but um, most commonly Donato's. Maybe we'll have time to talk about that. And his husband is Rick Neal, who you all might remember as a congressional candidate some years ago. And again, if you'd like to look them up, Tom's last name is G-R-O-T-E. Rick's last name is N-E-A-L. They've been very active not only with their family but in the LGBTQ community. And so let's see who we should talk to first. Why don't we talk to Do you two have your headphones on? Okay. Okay, can you say hello? We're going back to, to Rick and Tom's daughters now. Okay, so our audience can hear you. Tell us again your names and your ages and tell us what you like to do with your family. Um, my name is Annie. I'm 13 years old, and um, my favorite thing to do with my family is probably um, just hang out together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really watch movies a lot, but when we get a chance to, it's fun. What movie do you like the best? Um, I caught you with a hard question, didn't I? I'm not sure. I haven't watched a lot of movies in a while, but... My favorite movie is probably Ready Player One. Oh, okay. Cool. What do you like to do? So tell, tell our audience again your name and your age so they can hear you this time and not me saying it for you. My name's Sophia, and I'm 10 years old. And my favorite thing to do with my family is, like, play games together. Uh-huh. Like, maybe apples to apples or something. Okay. Now, one of you is a gymnast. I think I've seen your picture on Facebook. Yes. You like gymnastics. You're pretty good at it, too, right? Okay. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to your dads as well on the window. faces that I have seen probably in my lifetime. I didn't know you felt that way about me. Thank you. Uh, oh, you mean the Grody oh, family? Oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. No, these two little angels that are sitting with us this afternoon um, are just um, beyond words. 
They're polite. They're everything that uh, you want your kid to be <laughs> in a public place. And you all get A's today because I know this is a weird place. They've been patient, too, while we've talked to other families right. and someone from a public adoption agency. Because we're talking Mother's Day. We're talking adoption, but we're really talking families here on the window. And so let's just let's just keep it real. Let's be totally transparent about the Grody family, Tom Grody, Rick Neal, and their daughters, Amaret and Sophia. So first, this is an interracial family. The families we talked to before were all African-American. And so... Listeners, send us feedback at the window, feedback at gmail.com. But feedback that we get on interracial adoption is, what do you all know about raising black kids? I mean, for real, right? Like, and this was something that the adoption agency, we worked with Adoption Circle, which was just great for both our adoptions. And they made it very clear from us from the beginning, you know, if we were open to any child that needed a home. And they said, you know, it could be that you could um, end up with an African, you know, African-American family, and we're like, you know, great. Um, and so that we had classes and education around those kind of issues, and I, I, mean, I want to start off right right away, the thing was hair. And, and I, I need help, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you look great. Your hair looks great. Right. Come on. Um, so, I, you know, I did, I did my research. I was the stay-at-home dad, and, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of research and, and talked to a lot of people and my whole thing was I wanted their hair to be healthy and natural so that when they got to the age that they were going to take care of it, they, they would have hair that they would have something to work with. That was my whole goal the whole time. And it wasn't easy, was it, girls? <laughs> and I stuck with it doing it myself for a long time. But then we found Synergy Salon. Natural oh, Hair Salon. And James and Robin, <laughs> they've just been phenomenal. So we've been so lucky. Yeah. And that's funny because on the break I asked, who did your hair? Because she's got these little rubber band things in there that I kind of like. I said, I didn't know it was my stylist. I said, I'm going to need some phone numbers from you. So, um, and, and as we said at the beginning of this show, there's there's lots going on in the world of law and policy about adoption in general and race is one of the issues and we won't pretend to be experts on that but we will very soon have experts that will talk about that in terms of can you ask for a black child can black families be matched with or white families be matched with children of other races we'll talk about that but but you basically were open to adopting anyone now obviously you are it's obvious to us because we're sitting here looking at you and we've talked to you you are a married couple you're both male. Help us understand that, and especially as it relates to their differences in state law. Is that correct or not correct? There, no. there, well, there okay. was educate us, please. A, a lot of differences. Um, so I'm I'm actually a founder of Equality Ohio, and that organization was founded after the uh, gay marriage amendment, anti-gay marriage amendment that was on the ballot in Ohio in 2004, which said that gay folks couldn't get married. Right. So we worked on that, and it all really changed in 2015 with Obergefell uh, Supreme Court hearing uh, case, and all of a sudden marriage was legal in all 50 states. Okay. And we ran down to the courthouse. Uh, we were we ran down to the courthouse, and the biggest thing was we weren't allowed to both adopt our children until that ruling came down. So I was the legal father. Rick was the guy who took care of them and did their hair. <laughs> okay. He was not, a, he did not have a legal um, status with the girls. And it was, uh, wasn't until marriage equality that 
that decision came down that we were able to both put our names on the birth certificate and we both have, we both, we both got to take care of these girls legally for the rest of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. So. And so, so, Tom, then you initially adopted Amy and Sophie on your own. And so tell us what the implications were then of Rick not being a legal parent initially. You want to speak to that? I mean, we were very lucky. We were able to cobble together a legal relationship through a co- co-custody agreement that we did with the court. But, you know, what I thought about every day was that how lucky we were. There were you know, thousands and thousands of families in Ohio and hundreds of thousands across the country that didn't have the same ability to do that. And so, so many of us were just in this legal limbo, you know, until 2015, and now it's under threat again. Uh, it's shocking to me that we're, we're going back to that. Um, and, yeah. and so, Tom, when you first adopted, were there law policy practices or whatever that would have stopped you as a gay male from adopting, period? I would say that the challenge would probably be be an, uh, an individual judge or court um, deciding that it was or was not okay, but there was not a specific law. What it did say was you either needed to be married, a married couple, or a single person could adopt, which you've ex- just had on the show, right? So as a single person, I could adopt, even though we had a church wedding. <laughs> we were church married. Uh, we had 200 guests. It was a fantastic thing, but we weren't legally married until 2015. Okay. And so I have heard, but I don't know for sure, that there were some agencies who, even though it wasn't the law, frowned on certain types of adoptions, gay people, interracial, whatever. Did did you encounter any of that? No. We found a great adoption agency with... Yeah, they, I mean, they were, and they were very, um, they were very welcoming. They were also very clear. Again, this was in 2008 when we started the process uh, that ended up adopting Amorette, and they said, "You guys, you know, yes, you're married, but the state does not recognize that, and this will be a single parent adoption." I mean, they they stressed it again and again and again because they have to follow legal procedures. Mm-hmm. So it was very clear from the beginning. Um, and like I said, we did the co-custody agreement and then Sophie came along and we did the same thing. And then, yeah, the day that Obergefell was decided, our lawyer submitted my petition to adopt my own kids in Franklin County probate court. And it all worked day. out. It was great. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. So then to, to go back to parenting, you said from an interracial perspective, Hair is an issue for those of us who are of color and have hair. What else? What about heritage in general? That's often asked in interracial, in interracial families. Well, it takes a village mm-hmm. to raise children, and so we're very fortunate. We have some amazing black women, in particular, uh, yourself being one, Priscilla Tyson being another, who keeps her eye on us. Janet Jackson. Janet Jackson. Basically. She caught us real early, and she said, I'm keeping my eye on you. I'm going to be around, and I want to make sure those girls are raised right. Mm-hmm. Um, we put the girls in an, in an African dance over at King Lincoln. Uh, we put the girls in uh, Crystal Boyce's Leap of Faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was great. schools? Uh, they go to Columbus School for Girls, okay. and we're yeah. really happy. We're very happy with Columbus School for Girls mm-hmm. at this point. I don't think it was always that way but we're pretty happy with the diversity there, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what do you say to your daughters about gender? In terms of... So let, let's, for a moment, let's, just, let's assume that you were not gay males, but straight males, if you will, if I'm using the correct um, mm-hmm. verbiage, and you're raising daughters. So that's one issue. 
But now the reality is that you're gay males, and we're in a world where, gee, I'm not even sure if I should say daughters off the top of my head, just gender in general. Do you do you have those kinds of discussions? And forgive our ignorance, but we'd really like to know. I mean, it's the. I think one of the things that stuck with me as we were going through parenting classes and getting ready to adopt um, issues around uh, sexuality, gender identity, adoption status, um, our status as parents. What it's what we were going for was everything should um, be a natural, normal part of family life. That they grow up, that the, the girls grow up with a sense of who they are and who we are. Just in an everyday sense, and that includes knowledge about the fact that they were adopted. Um, I mean, it would have been pretty hard to hide it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, so that, so that all of it is just part of the, the normal everyday conversation. Um, so certainly, you know, I think our, just us being two guys being together, you know, when the girls started to go to school, um, and it came pretty clear that they were part of a different family. I mean, girls, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Right. I mean, you know, they had our picture. They, the school asked for in kindergarten, like bring in a picture of your family. And we're like, OK, here we are. Like it was pretty obvious what was going on. And so I think girls, you never really talked about how it felt to have a different family, but it always seemed like it was OK. There's all kinds of families. They're out both there. nodding. They're both doing that typical kid thing, shrugging their shoulders, nodding and. And they're not glancing at the clock, though. That's what I really like about them. They're not saying, can we go? Let's go. (laughs) They're doing doing great. These people are getting on our nerves. Uh, uh, They are so (laughs) well-mannered, not like any of my children would be in this situation. Um, I I did. So around gender identity, though, uh, the girls, I think in our household, we are just open for conversation as it comes up. Okay. And when we have it, we try to just be very factual And the most important thing is love. Mm -hmm. That's it, love. And we do know some folks that identify. uh, We know some trans folks uh, that have been around as well. And we have those conversations. And it's just about love. And and excuse me for lumping all gender issues together, which is probably an inappropriate thing to do. But, Dr. I, any time we approach this topic, and this is new for us, too. We're baby boomers. Any time we approach this topic, that's the word we keep coming back to is love. Mm-hmm. And families, mm-hmm. um, and and two just Forget really happy young people who, um, at some point, needed a home. And let's be honest, we've got some concerns in Washington D.C. right now with the mindset of the decision makers up there about differences among people. Well, it, it's not it's not just the politicians and, and that's true, but it's those of us in society as general. How do you do you deal with pushback or comments? You and your daughters. Do you, do people openly make comments to you? Never. Never. <laughs> Never. I mean they wouldn't Good like for them. We we live they wouldn't dare. <laughs> we live in a fantastic city, okay? Uh, we uh, our neighborhood is accepting you know, they look out after us. Um, we just live in a good city. I think. I think this. I'm, I'm proud of Columbus. I really am. Good. And you all are on your way to a graduation party today. Is that right, Amy and Sophie? Who's graduating? Uh, our cousin Tori. Oh, good. Graduating from where? Ohio State. <laughs> Ohio State. Okay. Now, do you hate this question? When people ask you, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Huh? What do you want to be when you? <laughs> What do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, um, 
use a bunch of possibilities. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going home, start over again. I would get something you know wrong what? along that's the way. That's the best that answer I've be heard to that very silly question. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Gee, I'm not sure. Prob- I like... I might be a video game designer who designs games. Oh, Because oh, I like to code. Uh-huh. You like to go to the age of 12? It is? Well, okay. That's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're born doing that now. So um, so to the Grody family and to all of our other guests here today, to the Brundage family, to Melinda Carter still in the room, to our guests from Fairfield County Children's Services. So this is a love story we've been talking about. And, and, and yes, we did get a question. Not all adoptions turn out to be success stories. Not all families turn out to be success stories. Um, and and so, they can be the same race, different genders. Right. It can still be a disaster. Right, right. So what we're going to do as we, as we end our show this week, and we could have gone on just a reminder that we want to have a follow-up show that really gets deeper into the weeds about this thing called adoption, the laws, the policies, the practices, the adults now who have been, um, who have been adopted and adults who weren't adopted and aged out of the system. We want to talk about all of that. But for right now, we just want to wish everybody not even a happy Mother's Day. We just want to say, just have a happy love weekend. Mm-hmm. Just show somebody you love them. Hug somebody. Just We can overcome evil and we can overcome hatred. I, that's what my mother taught me and I'm just crazy enough to rule. believe that. How about that? that? Yeah. Let's bring that back. Yeah. Do unto others yeah. as you would have them do unto right. you. Right. You can share this show um, by going to our website thewindownow.com and telling your friends and your neighbors and your families to listen to this show and all of our shows during the past year. You can send us feedback before, during and after the show at our email account thewindowfeedback at gmail.com you can like us on Facebook under the window and you can do us the pleasure of joining us again next Saturday as we talk about I don't know what we'll talk about because it would be hard to top our guests this week I know this is a good one today (laughs) I don't think about it all weekend that's right be nice to, to right. everybody. Right. Thank you to our in-studio person, Pastor, Pastor Wayne, Wayne Dandridge, who Yay. puts up with our madness all the time. Yes. Join us next week on The Window. Have a good weekend.